You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardinbaptist.org. Amen. You can be seated. If you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 1. Yes, we're still there. We're going to speed up, I promise. But for now, we're still in Genesis chapter 1. A few weeks ago, my wife sent me one of those uh, iPhone memories. You know, like show you a picture or video from your past. And it was eight years ago, Katie sent me the video. And we're in a doctor's office. And my wife, Katie, has got a big belly. And there is a nurse who's got this wand moving over her belly. And we've got our two oldest boys in the room. And they're listening for two words. Hamburger or turtle. Now, if you have not had kids yet, you're like, what in the world are you talking about? Well, the reason they're listening for these two words, hamburger or turtle, because an ultrasound, you can see in the little baby in a certain area. If a certain area looks like a turtle, it's a boy. If a certain area looks like a hamburger, it's a girl. So they're listening for hamburger or turtle because we've already got three turtles, right? Three boys, they're kind of wanting a hamburger, so we're listening. And then all of a sudden, uh, the tech looks at the screen and circles and says, look, what do you see? And both boys look, and you can see their reaction at the same time. Hamburger! Hamburger! And they're just rejoicing, like my phone's shaking, like I'm so excited. Katie's crying, like we're just so excited that we've got a hammer. So I'm trying to get the boys to tell the camera, what does that mean? What is it? And Fink keeps saying, a hamburger! A hamburger! What is it? Crowder says, a hamburger! It's like, no, but what does that mean? Oh, it's a girl. And it was just like this, man, such excitement. We said that video to everybody to reveal, hey, this little one, this little baby, we know what she is now. She is a girl. And in that moment, these two boys were doing something that humans have done for virtually all of existence. We look at a human body, especially a baby, most time after birth, because we didn't have like ultrasound technology, But you look at a baby, you look at the body, and you say, this is a girl or this is a boy. There's no assigning this baby a gender or biological sex. This is what this baby is. We discover it, and then we proclaim it. Well, as you know, that's not exactly the moment we live in, as you're probably going to see here in a moment. And I want to deal with three questions today as we look at What does it mean that God made us in his image, male and female? What do those categories mean, male and female? And if you're like, this could get a little awkward, I'm the one standing here. So um, yes, it could uh, just bear with me. Three questions, though, I do want to address. Number one is this, what does the Bible say about biological sex and gender? What does the Bible say about those things? Number two, what has led to our modern confusion over those categories? And then number three, why should we understand our bodies and gender? Like, why should we understand that? Why should we care about it? What does that even mean that you and I have a body and that you and I are engendered in this body, male or female? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 1 because we get this language from the Lord who created us in his image, male and female. So if you'd stand out of reverence for the word of God, we're going to read two verses of scripture. Here's what we see in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Father, I pray that you would help us during this time to see the beauty of gender, that you made it, that it's, your, it's for your glory and our good. Help us to be sensitive in this topic. Help us not in any way to be mean-spirited. Help us to have compassion and sympathy and empathy for all people that would have different perspectives than us. But let us declare what is true this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You guys may be seated. So first of all, we just noticed those words, male and female, he created them. And for most of human history, this is not even noteworthy. There's not a controversy. This is what most people would have assumed. You are either male or female. If you're male, you would have lived out as a man. If you are female, you would have lived your life as a woman, potentially been mother and wife. Those were just categories that everyone assumed is, is true. It's who I am. That was virtually most of human history. Well, I don't have to tell you that times have changed now. Um, for instance, in June 1st, uh, 2016, Bruce Jenner was on the front of Vanity Fair cover. And Bruce Jenner, the um, Olympic athlete, won a lot of gold medals running in men's events in the Olympics. Um, he is now on the cover of a magazine showing as a woman, and the title is Call Me Caitlin. In other words, I am no longer Bruce. Bruce is gone. Now I am Caitlin. I'm not he. I am she. I am now a woman. And that was really the first where like very publicly transgenderism hit like the scene. We all sort of saw it and, and it was right before our eyes. A year later, Bruce Jenner would be interviewed and he said, there's nothing like living out my authentic self. Now I want you to hear that language, my authentic self. We're going to get to why that is a statement that we hear a lot, my authentic self. It's not my body, it's who I declare myself to be. We've seen in 2022, uh, Leah Thomas won the national championship swimming in the women's 500. The reason that's newsworthy is because she was the first transgender athlete to win that category, which of course brought all sorts of firestorm because there are other women who are saying, hey, um, this isn't quite fair. There is a biological man who's swimming against us, and there is an advantage there. So men can't be allowed in women's sports. But Leah Thomas says, I'm not a man. I'm a woman. Therefore, I can be in this sport. And it was allowed, and she has a national uh, championship. And so we see even just a little bit of reality so, for instance, uh, Thomas, before that, swimmed on the men's team in 2018-19. Um, he finished 554th in the 200 freestyle, 65th in the 500 freestyle, and 32nd in the 1600-meter freestyle. The next year, when he switched to the women's division, he was 5th, 1st, and 8th in those various categories. So you could argue just by looking, there seems to be a pretty big advantage. We've seen other sports like volleyball and boxing, where when you mix a biological man in a woman's sport, things don't always turn out the best. That's why we have women's sports, so women can compete and win medals and do all the things. There's a beauty to women's sports. If men are allowed in women's sports, you don't have women's sports. Of course, Thomas would say, trans people don't transition for athletics, Instead, listen to this, we transition to be happy and authentic and our true selves. So that same language, it's about authenticity 
It's about happiness. It's about our true selves. And I just want you to notice that language makes complete sense to us. But if you rewind the clock just 50 years ago, that statement doesn't really make sense. And so I want to see how we exactly got here. But I just want to ask the question, is this true? Can a man become a woman? Can a woman become a man? Or is biological sex and gender, are they fixed categories? Are they binary or are they fluid? Do you have a certain gender and there's only two of those? Or as Facebook says, you have 50 plus and you can pick and choose whatever you want. Like one is true and one is false. We have to be able to articulate which one is true and which one is false. And some of you might be rolling your eyes and say, why does this even matter? Why are we even talking? This is not a big deal. Well, Albert Moeller would say this, transgender represents an attempt to redefine humanity itself, not just human sexuality. So an attempt to redefine humanity, what it means, you're not a male, you're a cis male. And so whole humanity, what it means, it's an attempt to redefine that. President Joe Biden tweeted out and said, let's be clear. Transgender equality is the civil rights issue of our time. There is no room for compromise when it comes to basic human rights. These are two statements. It is the issue of our times when it comes to civil rights. And then a theologian, Albert Roller, saying, well, if it's the issue of our times, it is redefining humanity. So let's be clear at what we mean when we say it's the civil rights issue of our time. We are redefining as we know it what it means to be a human being. So what I want to first do is show you what the Bible says about biological sex and gender. So if you have your Bibles, please return with me to Genesis 1.27. It says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we're talking about humanity. God created man, that's humanity, in his image. He created him. Him is being used for humanity there. And then there's something about this mankind. There's a uniqueness to mankind. What is that? He created them male and female. And he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. In other words, the male and the female are going to get together and reproduce. They're going to multiply, and we're going to see that is actually in marriage where they get together and then they reproduce. But I just want you to notice in 127, what we see is that God made two biological sexes, male and female. There's not many, there are two, male and female. And it's important to note that both of these reflect the image of God. Both of these are made in the image of God. It's not male is made in the image of God or female is made in the image of God. Both male and female are made in the image of God. So you, in your maleness or your femaleness, are showing, in a way, the image of God. And together, we really display who God is for the world to see. So we see we're not assigned a gender, we're not assigned these things, it is part of how we're made. We we see them, we reveal them at gender watch parties, right? This is what we do, we're not assigning, we're revealing, therefore you can't reassign. So we see that when it comes to biological sex, male and female, God made them and there's two categories. But then the argument is, well that's biological sex, now we have gender that's fluid, it's a spectrum, you can sort of have any gender or no gender, whatever is open. But what we see in scripture is, biological sex and gender are linked together. They're inseparable. You can't separate male from 
man. We see this primarily in Genesis 2.24. If you have your Bibles, flip the page and go there. We've just been told that God made man in his image, male and female. Now we're going to see the male and female are going to be linked into marriage. It says this in verse 24. Therefore, a man, listen to that specific gender language. A man shall leave his, that's a pronoun that refers to a specific gender. He's going to leave his father, that's also a gendered statement. A father means something, and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall both become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Now next week we're going to deal with marriage, and what marriage means for the glory of God. But here I want you to see, even in marriage, the implications of biological sex connected to gender and gender connected to marriage. All three of those things are linked together. The male is a man who has the potential of getting married to a female who is a woman who is going to be potentially a wife and a mother. So all of this is very gender language and they're linked together. Rob Smith says it like this. The clear implication of this move from male and female to man and woman is that a person's biological sex reveals and determines both their objective gender and certain key gender roles. That is, human males grow into men and potential husbands and fathers, and human females grow into women and potential wives and mothers. Indeed, it is this set of binary connections that make human marriage possible. So they're linked together. You can't separate the two. A male becomes a man who is meant for, if the Lord so chooses, marriage, where he will be a husband and a father. A female grows into a woman who is a wife, and a mother. Those things are all linked together from Scripture. This is all God's design. And what we see from Sam Elberry in his book called What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, he says this, our gender identity is not something we search for in our feelings. It's something we find in our bodies. It's not in your feelings. It's not in your desires. It's in your actual body. That's how you find what gender you are and what you are to do with that gender you've been given. It's in your body. It's not somewhere inside of you that is to be found or discovered. You might say, well, that's like Genesis 1. What about Jesus? What does Jesus have to say? Well, Jesus was there in Genesis 1. He was there like in the whole creation. He's part of this. Um, And here's what Jesus says about both gender and marriage in Matthew 19, uh, verse 3. It says this, And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking him, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So the guy's asking about divorce. Jesus goes to the very beginning of the creation of man. Hey, do you not remember that God made mankind with two genders, male and female. This was God's doing. God made them that way. Those very binary, non-fluid categories, God is the one who made them. And then he says this, and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. What God therefore has joined together, let not man separate. So what's the therefore, therefore? Why is it therefore a man shall leave his father and mother? 
What's the foundation of marriage according to Jesus? The foundation of marriage is biological sex and gender. God made us either male or female, two different categories, and those different categories are the foundation for marriage. Therefore, a male who's a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to a female who's a woman, and they are going to get married and therefore be able to have more image bearers of God who are male and female. This is God's design from creation, and Jesus is telling us again, hey, remember, if we're going to talk about divorce, we have to talk about marriage, and if we're going to talk about marriage, we have to talk about gender. You have to start with man and woman and their difference because their difference is how they can become a conjugal union, how they can have a conjugal marriage that then has the potential for new life and babies. So Jesus is reaffirming what Genesis 1 tells us about gender and marriage. We see the whole New Testament gives us regulations, rules, commands about here's what women are to do, here's what men are to do. The categories are assumed that there's men and women and they're different and they have different roles and different responsibilities. But it's not just scripture, it's God has made us in this way so we can look at biology and tell men apart from women. For instance, women have XX chromosomes, men have XY chromosomes. So every cell in your body, if you're a female, has XX. Every, every cell in your body, if you're a man, has that XY chromosome. We can tell man and woman by who we are. As men and women, we have different bone structures. We have different capacities for our cardiovascular system. We have different muscle structures. That's why a swimmer has an advantage if he's a biological man in the pool with biological women. Just to state the obvious, we have different parts, men and women. Women give birth to kids, men do not. Just very general things that we can say, biology about men and women. Not psychology, not theology, just looking at biology, stack a man next to a woman, you can see there is difference. You can study, you can see it. If you ask a kid, is that a man or a woman, they can probably tell you. Of course, we do have things like gender dysphoria. That is a very real thing. People have gender dysphoria, and we should have compassion and empathy and great care for those who have gender dysphoria, those who feel like they're in the wrong body, those who feel like they, they are a woman, but they're trapped in a man's body. But I want you to see how gender dysphoria has changed just over the past few years. For instance, the illustration has been given, if you went to the doctor in the 1980s and said, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body, the doctor would assume the problem is in your mind and you need counseling, you need therapy. Because we can see, well, you are a man and you're not trapped in a man's body. So it's something in the mind. We need to have counseling, we need to have therapy. We need to bring your mind in line with your body. There's an obvious just distinction there. Now, in 2024, if the same person went into the doctor's office and said that, odds are they would say the problem is with your body, not with your mind. And they might prescribe puberty blockers if you're a kid, um, hormones from the uh, cross-sex hormones, and even life-altering mutilation. That would be the, the normal prescription if you came to a doctor now in a lot of cases. So when you see... From the Bible, we see these categories of male and female. We see gender, man and woman, and therefore our good and for God's glory. God has made those. But we live in a culture that sees 
Well, a lot of fluidity in those categories. So I want to ask the question is, how did we get here? And I think that's going to be helpful for us just to understand the water we're swimming in. We don't notice the water because we're in the water. We don't notice the air we breathe because we're just breathing the, the air. Well, how did the air get to be the way it was? For instance, if I say the term, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. Everyone here just sort of knows what that means. Like you all have a category of that statement. Your great-grandparents would not have a category for that statement. They would not even be able to process what you're even saying. So something has changed over the last few years that has been revolutionary. And I want us just to see what that change is. Trevin Wax does some work in the idea of how we find our identity. And he says, historically speaking, the ancient people all the way through the Greeks, all the way through semi-modern times, most people throughout history have looked around to determine their identity. They look at their family, they look at their work, they're looking around at each other. This is who I am because this is the people that I'm with. Then they would look up to the gods or to a god and try to get some sense of who they are in relation to God. And then lastly, if they had time after like chopping the wood and planting the crops, they might look inwardly and ask some inward questions, but probably not. Looking around and up. Well, the Bible tells us to not do that. The Bible tells us to first look up. Okay, God, who do you say that I am? And then once you determine that, now you look around and see what is my place? Am I man or woman? What is this, what setting man? What is my work? So you're finding identity based on your community as well, but it's secondary to who you are in God. And then lastly, you are to have an inward life, a prayerful life, a life that is bringing your inward life into reality of who God says you are and what the world says you are. Now notice the modern self. It's completely different. What we are told is to first look within that our deepest desire is who we really are. That's our authentic self. And then we look around us for affirmation, for people to tell us, yes, that's right. We affirm your choice in who you decide to be. And then we look up simply for spiritual power. To sort of be semi-religious, we want God to bless who we really are and who the uh, community has affirmed us to be. What we call this is the modern self. That's a title from Carl Truman. He wrote a book called Strange New World. I encourage you to read it. I'm going to give you a lot of the material from that book. He says this about the modern self. The modern self is one where authenticity is achieved by acting outwardly in accordance with one's inward feelings. That's the modern self. The inside is who you really are. So find who you really are and then work it out and celebrate it outward because that is how you become your authentic self. Now, I want to ask the obvious question, how did we get here? And in Strange New World, Carl Truman paints the picture of how we got here. So I want to walk through first, thinkers and activists that led the way to change our minds. So here's a bunch of thinkers and activists, and I'm going to briefly go through some of these. Uh, Descartes, in the 1600s, uh, he was famous for saying, I think, therefore, I am. We all know that, right? He doubted everything. He doubted the cherry set in. He doubted the walls. He doubted the world. He doubted everything. He even doubted himself. But he came to the conclusion, well, I'm thinking, therefore I must be. So the only truth that I can ever know is myself. And you could spell that out. Hundreds of years later, we get the idea that it's your truth. It's my truth. Because the only thing you can really know is you. We have Rousseau in the, six, in the 1700s that um, brought the idea of the authority of your feelings. So society makes us unauthentic. Uh, in the social contract, he said, man is born free, yet everywhere he is in chains. So it's society that makes us sin and evil. We're actually all completely free beings. And what we need to do is just 
authoritize our feelings. Whatever you feel, that is who you are. So trust yourself, now trust your feelings. Then Hegel came along and said, as human beings, it's all about progress. We are progressing towards a better vision of humanity. Therefore, everything has to be in progress. All the rules have to continually be broken so that we can realize who we really are. Darwin comes along and says, hey, I can rid you of that whole idea of being created in the image of God because really, you are just highly evolved primates. So you can just lose the idea of creation and what God says about you. Karl Marx came along who hated Christianity, hated religion. It was the opium of the masses. He believed it was just to keep people down in oppression and morality. It's just about keeping people down. And then comes Nietzsche, who had that famous line, God is dead. So you don't have to worry about him anymore. He's gone. He's dead. Therefore, we make our own morality. So Marx is hating morality. Nietzsche's like, hey, God's dead, so we can do whatever we want. With morality, there are no rules. And then in this atmosphere comes Sigmund Freud, who's one of the champions of the revolution we are now in, in the 1900s. And here was his basic contribution. Um, Sex is fundamental to human happiness. If you want to be happy, it's all about that part of your life. If that part of your life is not fulfilled and unhindered and you can do whatever you want, then you're not going to be a full human. Therefore, we have to rewrite all of the civil codes. Because he believed civilization was about oppression. We really just want to do whatever we want in that area. But we have to be civilized. We have to treat each other in some ways. But in one day, civilization will outgrow rules. And we'll just be able to do whatever we want with our bodies and with our desires. And that will be the pinnacle of human happiness. And then from here, we get Reach, who is Marx meets Freud. He would say that for humans to be free and truly happy, we have to shatter all of the codes regarding the bedroom. And then for that to happen, politics have to enter the fray after Marxists, where sexuality must become the pressing political issue of the day, where the state takes proactive measures in making sure every human being can do whatever they want with those inward desires. So the Boy Scouts have to become political. The Girl Scouts have to become political. Cake baking has to become political. Everything has to become political because for everyone to be happy, we can't have any rules. And if there are rules, we've got to bring political pressure. If you say, I can't walk in that bathroom, there's going to be political pressure that say you can because that's about your fundamental happiness. So this is how we got here through thinkers and activists. Ryan T. Walker, he wrote the book, When Sally Became Harry, says this, This whole movement is about this, how the person became a self, the self became sexualized, and sex became politicized. That's the moment we're in right now. That's like the water we swim, that's the air we breathe. Moeller will say this, the coalition of the LGBTQ is without a doubt the greatest success story of the last half century. Like the politicalization of all these ideologies is just a tremendous success story. It is full swing in the world that we live in. But it's not just thinkers and activists. It's also a culture that that was able to cultivate these things. So what culturally happened that made it available to explore all of these things? The first thing that really changed the game was in 1970, the pill came out. And now you have the separation of the act from children. There's no worry about having kids now. 
You can take a pill and you can enjoy the act. And there's now it's for recreation, it's for fun, it's to do whatever, it's cheap and easy. This, this sort of let the floodgates on where now that act came with no babies. And so now you can really explore and have fun. Certain magazines with bunny covers came out which said, hey, um, immorality is cool, it's in vogue, it's really, this is what girls should do, this is what guys should look at, this is what's exciting. No-fault divorce came out, which meant it reduced marriage to a sentimental bond. It's just, hey, we don't love each other anymore so we can get divorced. It's not about covenant. And so it, it cheapened this idea of what marriage is, um, which led to where we see today, uh, feminism asserted women's control over their bodies and that certain act of their bodies. And then, of course, came the internet. And the internet made pornography accessible and normal everywhere and just removed the stigma altogether where it's joked about on shows. It's the cool thing to do. And now every show, every movie that we watch reinforces this idea of all that we have just seen. So sort of to summarize, here's what we see. Um, the idea of being human is to look inside, find yourself, express yourself, and find people to champion the self that you are. That is the water we swim in. That's the air that we breathe. And here we are in the midst of a revolution where every one of the letters LGBTQ plus are in opposition with Genesis 1 and 2. Like direct opposition with what the Bible says Here's what we are as humans. Here's what sexuality is. Here's what marriage is. I mean, just think about Genesis 1 and 2. God made us male and female. Direct opposition from T. Not only that, but God made us male and female for the foundation of conjugal marriage, which is in contrast to LGBTQ, and that conjugal marriage is the way to form families. Like direct opposition for what we see in scripture and what the culture at large would find ourselves in. So we just got to see, oh, here's what the Bible says. We're living in a time where things are a lot different than what the Bible says. We didn't just accidentally get here. There's been a progress from the 1600s of thinkers and activists and cultural shifts that brought us to this moment where we have this idea of a modern self, of expressive individualism, where if you listen to uh, Leah Thomas, why did she transition? Because I want to be my authentic, happy, true self. And I don't find that in my body. I find that in changing who I fundamentally am. And that makes total sense in the culture that we live in. The modern belief is your body is just a shell. It's just, it's not part of you in any real way. It's not you. It's the shell that you occupy. The true you is somewhere inside. And what you need to do is find your true self and then match your body and your actions with your body to that true self that you decide your deepest desires tell you that you are. So your body is, is nothing. But here we find the Bible would have a lot to say about the human body. So the third thing we're going to see is this. How should we understand our bodies and our genders? How do we understand that in our cells? What does the Bible have to say about our bodies? Well, if you look at Genesis 2, 7, if you would turn there, here's what we see. God made man from dirt. Okay, so we're going to see the human body created. Notice in this. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Notice what happened. The Lord 
formed the man from the dust of the ground. He is taking matter and forming it into a human body. He is making a human being, and he starts with matter. He starts with the physical. He builds a human being. He forms a body with his own hands. He's making a human being, and then he breathes in the human being the breath of life, where that person is now a body soul. But it is a union of body soul. It's not two different body souls that are not somehow together. It is a union of body and soul. And here's what that means. We are bodied creatures. There is no you without your body. Like you are your body. It's, it's part of who you are. It is who you are. It's how you relate to everyone and relate to the world and relate to God. You have a body. I love what Sam Elbury says. He says, notice how Adam was made. This is really insightful. Opposite of how we think today, God didn't first make a soul called Adam and then search for something physical to put that soul into as though the soul was the real Adam and his body were equivalent to a Tupperware container to store it in. No, God actually started with matter. In the Old Testament, someone is an animated body, not an incarnate soul. That is completely different than we think about the body unless you're deeply founded in Scripture. We tend to think the true me is my soul. This body's just like my earth suit. You hear that language? Even in Christian communities, this is my earth suit. Can't wait to get rid of it and fly away to heaven. Well, I've got news for you. The earth suit's coming to heaven too. The goal is your body lives with Jesus forever. Yes, your body, the one you got, it's going to be with you forever. See, this is, this is huge when it comes to believing what your body is. In the Bible, you don't just have a body, you are a body. Let me let that sink in. In the Bible, you don't just have a body, you are a body. It is part of you. Part of your very identity is that you are a body. God started with a physical first and then breathed into that physical body a soul spirit where the man, and think about it, death, the opposite happens. We breathe our last breath and the body is put back in the ground, but that's not the end of the story. The body in the ground is going to resurrect and live with King Jesus forever. See, sometimes in the church, we're affected by bad theology and bad psychology and, and, and bad philosophy, like it's left over from Plato. Plato believed the body's bad, the soul is good. And almost every religion sort of believes that. Like C.S. Lewis says this, Christianity is almost the only one of the great religions which thoroughly approves of the body. Like most religions, your body is bad, your body is the problem. Guess what? One day you're going to get rid of it and you're going to be like in nirvana as a soul floating around. And that's sort of our vision of heaven. Like one day you're going to get rid of this old body that makes you do all sorts of bad things. You're going to be in heaven floating around on a harp as a soul. That's not the end of the story. The end of the story is your body comes out of the grave, unites with your soul spirit, and you live as a body forever with King Jesus, who, by the way, also has a body. Think about the gospel. Jesus just didn't like zap into like some body for like a few moments and then die on the cross. No, he became a body. 
That's what the virgin birth is about. He became a human being. He became a body. He was born of a virgin. He grew. He lived. And so his body, who is him, died on a cross and rose on the third day. And guess what? His body ascended into heaven, and his body is coming back. And he's going to live in that body with scars on his hands and his feet for all of eternity. That's how God thinks of our bodies. That Jesus Christ assumed a body to die for us and to rise again for us. And think about what did Adam? He Adam sinned in his body. You and I sin in our bodies. You know what we need redemption? We need redemption for our bodies and our souls. The things that we have done. And that's what the cross is about. And the good news of the gospel is we get to rise again. Not just as souls somewhere, but as embodied creatures living for the glory of God. So you know what that means? Just very bluntly, your body matters. Your body matters. It's a gift from God that he gave to you. The Bible says he knit you together in your mother's womb. Your body matters. So you should treat your body like it matters, like it's a gift, like it's actually part of you, not just a Tupperware container that you're filling. And you're going to shed it one day. Well, it's coming back for you. So you might as well get used to it. Make friends with it. Your body is you and you're your body. And notice we see there's a difference in how God made the woman. We're going to get into this more next week when we have the creation of marriage, but I'll just hit on it. God made woman from rib. Verse 22 says this, And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then said, at last, Adam said, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So we see Adam, the male, the man, was made from dirt, fashioned, breathing his nostrils the breath of life. God fashions the, the female, the woman, a little different. She takes the man's rib and creates a woman, fashions her, and presumably breathes into her the breath of life as well, and then brings her to the man. And when the man sees her, he says, At last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, not man, she shall be called woman. Why does he call her woman? Because she's like him, but she's different than him. Like he can see, hey, you look like me, but you look different than me. And I like the differences. I'm going to call you woman. I'll call me man. We'll be different. And it's these differences that are foundation of marriage, that these two who are alike yet different can come together and produce more image bearers of God who are male and female who then can go and do the same. So it's not true that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. No, they're both from the garden. But they are different. They're equal, but they're different. They equally bear the image of God, but they're also equally different. They have different characteristics, different roles, responsibilities. What it means to be a woman and what it means to be a man are two different things, but they're all part of humanity. So here we see the creation of Adam, the creation of Eve, we see that our bodies are part of our creation. You are a body, therefore you should be thankful and take care of your body. So five applications for what all this means for us. Number one, thank God for your body. That's application number one, thank God for your body. He made it, he knitted together in your mother's womb. So be thankful that you have a body. 
Having a body is a really cool thing. When you eat lunch today, be like, thanks God, this body is cool. I like my tongue. I like these tastes, but this is a cool way to experience life. With a body, I love the air, I love the sun, I love the way it feels. You are a physical human being. You are a body. So thank God for your body. And he gave it to you as a good gift. Number two, embrace and live out your God-given gender. So because you have a body, it means you also have a gender. Like you can look at it and see, this is my gender. Therefore, embrace it and live it out. So if you are a male, live out manhood. And what the Bible says about manhood. If you are a female, live out womanhood. And what it means to be a woman from the scriptures. Like find who you are, find what God has said about you, and live according to that. Don't try to fight against the other gender or battle of the sexes. No, instead, let's complement one another so that we can show the glory of God and how God stamped us in his image. So embrace your gender and live it for the glory of God. Number three, speak truth and grace and love in a confused world. Like we've got to be the people that are able to speak truth and love and grace in a world that is confused. Like when you go to work, when you read the news, when you see all the headlines, when you see all the things that are coming out, you have to be able to say, hey, this is what Scripture says about this. This is what Scripture says about this. Let's go to the Bible. Let's go to our Creator. And you speak that with love and with grace and with mercy and with compassion. We're not angry with anybody. We're lovingly trying to get people to see how God made them and the goodness of that. And then fourthly, you have to love those who disagree with you or those who live different than you. you got to love them. They're your neighbor. And the Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself. So no matter what somebody says, no matter what somebody thinks, no matter how somebody lives, you know what our response as a Christian is? To be compassionate and to love them. Like actually love them, befriend them, have them over. Like we love people who are unlike us So our default to people that disagree with us and who live different than us is to love those people. And we lovingly share the good news of Jesus with them. Number five is I think as a church and and as individuals, we have to be a place that welcomes refugees of the revolution. We've got to be a church and a people that welcome refugees of the revolution. Because here's, if the Bible is true, here's what we know. The current revolution is writing checks it cannot cash. The revolution is telling people that if you just live out your inner desires, if you just become your authentic self, you will be happy and fulfilled and everything will magically be perfect with your life. That is a check that it cannot cash. Because at the end of all of those, if you live outside of God's word, You're a fish out of water. You're a train off the tracks. And you're not going to find what you're looking for. And when people in the revolution and on the other side of the revolution find brokenness and hopelessness, we need to be those that take refugees of the revolution, love them with welcome arms, and bring them to King Jesus, who, guess what, renews and saves and washes and cleans and makes us all new. That's why Paul would write to a church who was struggling with all sorts of sexual sin. He says, hey, and as were some of you, but you've been washed, you've been cleaned, you've been sanctified in the gospel of Jesus. Jesus Christ. 
Like there is hope, there is good news, and we have to be a church that proclaims that good news. We are not battle people, we have found a savior. And we want others to find that same savior. So we have to be the people that articulate and be able to welcome people who are suffering in all sorts of different ways. Trevin Wax says this about the church. If the sexual revolution is running off the tracks, this is the worst time for the church to jump on the train. Many churches, many Christians are jumping on the train. Hey, the revolution's here. We've got to jump on the train. We've got to just agree that everything's okay. We're jumping on the train. But if it's true that the train is going to run off the tracks, this is the worst time for the church to jump on the train. We need to be those at the station screaming, get off the train. The train is not going to arrive where you think it's going to arrive. What you need is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what we see. The Bible has a lot to say about things like biological sex, gender, and marriage. So we have to embrace what the Bible says, who we are. It's a modern phenomenon that we build identity on our inner being, not our objective reality. We just got to know that's a moment in time that is unique, and it's unique to the West. It's not happening around the world. It's happening in the West. So we got to know this is a unique time. But we've got to be the people that understand the truth, that we're embodied creatures, our bodies matter, our gender matters, and we're going to live out our lives in the body that we have, the gender that we have, for the good of our neighbors, for the good of ourselves, and for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to love everybody in between. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. I pray that all of this was spoken in grace and love and humility. And God, I pray as a church that we would have grace and love and humility in a world that often disagrees with everything that we've just said. But God, let us stand firm on your truth, on your revelation, rather than our feelings and our personal truths. Let us believe Jesus, who is the truth, the life, and the way. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardenbaptist.org.